if it's something that's three bids and a buy, let a machine do it. If it's going to be something that's going to influence the outcome of the organization or their bottom line, then have it be strategically sourced and use smart tools that use AI, that use cognitive procurement to do that kind of sourcing. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. My name is Sagi. I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. And today I have Don with me, the CEO and president of Sourcing Industry Group, SIG. I love you guys. We started working with you recently. Such a great community, such a great group. I'm so happy to have you with us today. I'm happy to be here and we're excited about you guys. I mean, it, you're really shaking up the industry. Good. That's good to hear. Gotta move the business forward. <laughs> Let's talk about you a little bit. Give some background maybe to the audience. How did you become the CEO and president of SIG? Like most people in procurement these days, I fell into it and I came in through a back door. So by training, I am a recovering CPA and I was in a private tax practice that I ran for about 11 years. One of my clients was just doing this new sourcing methodology and wanted to prove where they were driving change. They hired my firm to come in and do one of the very first total cost of ownership cost models. And it was at Kaiser Permanente out in California. I fell in love with the concept of sourcing. I thought, this is so cool. And after 11 tax seasons, enough was enough. I sold my CPA firm. I went to work for them. And then I realized I don't make a good employee. So I started my own consulting firm. I started Denali Consulting back in 1996. We've renamed it to Procurability. I don't own anything at all now anymore. So when I had the opportunity to take over SIG, I sold out of Denali, Denali Sourcing Services, Denali Group, all of the companies that we had started over there. I wished them well. And then I took over SIG because I thought, wow, I get to talk to really smart people every day and I get to be on the cutting edge of what's happening in sourcing. This is so cool. That's how I got here. I love that you figure out that you can be an employee. Tell me a little bit more about SIG and what you guys do. SIG is the world's largest association for people in sourcing, procurement, outsourcing, and third-party risk. My passion is to be disruptive in the industry, to make sure that we're bringing the latest and greatest technology, that we're making sure that our CPOs or chief procurement officers are staying abreast of the latest trends, that we are seen as strategic. And we have a C in front of the name, chief procurement officer, but to be honest with you, it's a small C for most companies. It's not the capital C like you see at a CFO. You know, CFOs are paid in the millions for a Fortune 500 company. I only have a handful of CPOs that are paid a million dollars or more. My vision is to get the CPO where we have the CFO seated at the right hand of the CEO. I want the CPO seated on his left hand. Then you've got full visibility. And to be perfectly honest with you, having a finance background like I do, finance gets involved on the budgets, the goals up front, and then they report on the findings. Everything else happens in procurement. We see the redundancy, the stupidity, the waste that's going on in the organization. And My analogy is always like a coach in basketball. If he's looking at the scoreboard, and that's all he does. He's going, oh, we're doing well. Oh, we're losing. We're doing well. We're losing. But we're like the coach just looking at the players and putting them in and say, all right, now I need to do this. Now I need to do that. I need to change the play mid-game to have a different score on the scoreboard. And that's where procurement adds all the strategy. I mean, besides finance and HR, we're the only other organization that goes across the entire company. We touch every facet of the organization if it's done well. And so we know where the waste is and the redundancy and everything else. And if we can become an influencer in that market and be able to change it while it's happening, 
we can change the results that the finance sees on the scoreboard. So that's where I'm so excited. That's where I want it to be seen by everyone in all organizations. I couldn't agree more. We talked about it in the beginning of this. We started to work with procurement in the last year. And I love your court example, but really understanding that the importance of certain roles in procurement is one of the more obvious one when you actually open under the hood, right? Yes. It's so clear the leverage that you can get from this organization, but at the same time, how much of it is being only approached when it's like a checkbox. And I think it's so hard to understand, and especially, and this is kind of like my next question, because you talked about strategic, and I want to double click on it, especially when you come back from madness, supply chain issues, to completely change of work norms, the pandemic and everything, to a financial crisis that now everyone's trying to shrink the belt. How can you not leverage that moment into rebranding the skill set that the procurement team and the CPO and really just that organization brings and think about it in a more strategic way? So maybe as a segue back to the strategic concept, what is the difference between sourcing and procurement? So like the way uneducated people from the outside would look at this role versus when you actually think about the strategic aspect of it. Like yeah, basically so more port would... analogy, but in, in real life. Yeah. So the one word I wish they'd get rid of in our industry is buyer. We don't buy things. I mean, the only time buyer is sexy is if it's fashion. But other than that, we're not buyers. We're not just taking orders and going shopping. I don't like the term buyer. And I hate the fact that we have shopping carts in a lot of our technologies. It sounds like we're shopping. And purchasing is really the old-fashioned word for a procurement organization. So purchasing is I buy what's on your list. So I'm shopping and I'm a buyer. Procurement is I have a little bit of strategy that goes into it and I'm procuring things on your behalf, which means I'm scanning the marketplace. But really, when you get to strategic sourcing, I am now strategically finding a way to deliver success to my business units. And strategic sourcing is way more important than tactical procurement. And honestly, with the advent of AI and everything else and the tool sets out there, nobody wants to do tactical procurement. If it's something that's three bids and a buy, let a machine do it. If it's going to be something that's going to influence the outcome of the organization or their bottom line, then have it be strategically sourced and use smart tools that use AI, that use cognitive procurement to do that kind of sourcing. And then on top of that, we are now responsible for third-party risk because any contract I put in place, any one contract could take down the company if I introduce either risk into the organization, cyber into the organization. You never know what I could do to take down your organization. And it could be a very small agreement. It doesn't have to be the $100 million agreement. It could be the $10,000 agreement I put in place. But if I introduce a bad actor into our supply chain, I could ruin the organization. So now we are responsible for third-party risk. And you can't do that on a spreadsheet. You need really smart tools to help you manage third-party risks. So that's really the difference. And that's where we've gone from very tactical. You know, when I first started out, it was like, that's where people went to, they couldn't do anything else. They went to purchasing because they took orders, they worked off a green screen and they placed orders. And that was it. Then as it's evolved over the years, it's become so much more strategic. And it's a lot easier to save a dollar than it is to sell a dollar. And you need to sell multiple dollars at the top to get a dollar to come off the bottom line. But every time I save or find a way to be more efficient down here, that's right off the bottom line. Like at McDonald's, they talk about how many hamburgers did I save? So I either had to sell 10,000 more hamburgers or I do this agreement. 
This might be easier than 10,000 more hamburgers at every single store. This might be more impactful and less pressure on the sales organization. But I think it's Home Depot or Lowe's does it in board feet of wood. How many board feet of wood did we save today? When you think about the fact that a dollar of sales is not a dollar to the bottom line, because there's all the cost of goods sold, why not look at the cost of goods sold and say, what can I do down here to make it more efficient and add more value and maybe raise the quality? Maybe I have fewer returns or I'd lower the inventory levels and I can work in just in time and save inventory carrying costs. But there's so much more I can do down here that takes some pressure off of sales at the same time. Thank you for that. I think it's insightful. I wanted to ask you, I know you pioneered the concept of strategic sourcing with a book you guys wrote quite a while ago. Right? When was it? That was back in 96. Yeah. So that was one of the first books on strategic sourcing. I was a ghostwriter for Amico Banfield, who was the head of shared services at Southern California Edison. And we had tremendous success with her and the organization. And we were saving back then $500 million a year off of the bottom line. And so we documented the entire sourcing process. And what was really neat about Amico is that she was a PhD in organizational development. So she got the people side of it, where I had the methodology, I had the number side, but really with her mentoring me at a very young age, it really helped me tie it together that just because I source it doesn't mean they're going to buy on contract. And I've got to lead people to want to buy on these contracts we're putting in place. Everybody has background noise in their head. Somebody's talking up here and they're smiling, but in the back of their head, they're saying, no way, can't make me do it. So she really was a great mentor for me to teach me how to get into the back of people's heads. What are they really thinking? So I can make sure that as we're working on change management, that people are really buying into these concepts. It was a perfect marriage when she asked me to ghostwrite the book with her. So yeah, it was 1996 and a lot of methodology still stands today. This is the most talked topic now, right? With AI and everything. Being a nerd of AI, I sometimes cringe for like how easy people use the word AI. But at the same time, the way I look at it, it is reinvigorating the feel of magic of technology. I feel like there's waves of magics. Everyone are getting wowed by technology. And then it died down into a point where now people are like getting burned out with how do I actually use it or like the side effect of it. And then they get back to being a non-believer or like unsure, sometimes even actively against. And then a new technology comes in that brings the wow effect. And what I've seen this time, I remember it happened with the mobile too. All of a sudden, projects come out of the basement, things that you try to push for a while and people won't buy it, people won't try to make a change, trying to like improve. All of a sudden, they're like, wait, what about this? Can we improve that? Because they saw this new shiny thing. And even if it has nothing to do with it from a technology perspective. And you said something through this last point about cognitive sourcing. And I wonder in 1990s to 2020s, what is the biggest shift you think happened? And what is the next shift to come with this new technology around sourcing? Is it actually just humans being open to it? There was so much hype for so long. And it's the same as RPA when it first came out, robotic process automation. It was talked about, talked about, talked about. But until we did a proof of concept live at one of our summits, people didn't understand what it was. 
And I think AI is suffering a little bit of an identity crisis the same way, because what is AI? Everyone has been around AI for years. They're just not aware that it was AI. And Amazon suggesting, because you bought this, you should buy this. The way you get things in certain feeds, all of that is driven by AI, but it wasn't changing your business life. Things were happening, but they were subtle. And a lot of times people thought they were good. Then with the introduction of AI into the tool sets we're using, we are now becoming more strategic and the ability to grasp more information in our sourcing initiatives by using AI because a machine can think faster. It doesn't forget. It can see patterns that we can't see. And so it's very powerful when it's built into a tool set correctly. But like anything else, it can have biases that you're not aware of. It can lead you in a wrong direction if you're not careful. But we are seeing a lot of the technology providers starting to use AI in a really neat way to help making sourcing decisions smarter, to feed all of this third-party risk information in and do some analysis. You know, third-party risk has to be done through tools. It can't be done on Excel. And there are so many inputs to it. Am I anti-bribery? Am I money laundering? Is it human trafficking? Is it cyber? There's so many different ways that risk comes into our formula. Is it geopolitical? All these things that take place, AI can think these things through and flag for us the ones we should be paying attention to. And so to me, cognitive procurement is that our tool sets are getting better at making recommendations for us by doing a lot of these analytics. But it's also now we're understanding that they can also report back to us. This is the reason we're taking you in this direction. Were you aware of A, B, C, D, E, F, G that we just analyzed for you or A through double, triple Z probably that I analyzed for you, therefore I'm recommending this decision, which would take humans hours and hours of computations to get. And so I think the tool sets are getting better. People are finally starting to realize the next wave is really predictive. Can you predict what the pricing should be? Can you predict where the market is truly going? Because the one thing that we've really stunk at all of our lives is predictions and forecasts. You ask anyone, we've never forecasted well. And so AI is going to be able to see patterns once again that will help us with forecasting, which will make the suppliers so much happier as well. So there's so many other uses of AI now that I think are going to make procurement much more strategic, much more pinpointed as to the directions we're going and why, help us reduce risk. So yeah, I'm really excited about the future. With all of the caveats that should it be regulated, yay or nay. There's a lot of that we need to look at. I think of where we were 20, 30 years ago without desktop computers and laptops. And then the Google came out and the encyclopedia went away. And it's just another evolution that we have to embrace and regulate at some point or understand the harm and the benefit at the same time of AI. In fact, you guys just sent out a newsletter either today or yesterday that I just sent around to the entire company saying, should we have policies around the use of AI? whether it be chat GPT or anything else, it just came up in my feed. And it was fantastic saying there's pluses, there are minuses, but you have to get educated. And so kudos to you that I just saw that today. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the AdaptiveOps community at operations.community. Thank you for the shout out. Yeah, I was about to talk about some of it because I think you laid the ground perfectly 
And the one thing I would add to it is, and that's I think the craziest thing, like we call this in end of May of 2023, and then beginning of the year 2023, it was completely shocking to everyone when the chat GPT came out. And I think the funny part is the GPT model has been around for at least a year and a half before that, if not more than two years. Obviously, it got way better real fast, and there's more to come, and it's quite madness on a positive note, the speed of which things are happening right now. But at its core, I find what you said to be exactly the point. It is how we experience these capabilities. It was massively changed with these large language models. Instead of just having something that can digest a lot of data and have some predictive model on it or some pattern recognitions on it, which is essentially what neural nets and machine learning, older versions that has been around for a while, got much better again, but have been around for a while. All of a sudden, now you have something that you can actually feel. And it's the fastest growing product, ChatGPT, on a personal level, because everyone want to feel that magic. Just to finish up the point with the user, it's really understanding your point about evolution, but also understanding that you can never take things face value. It doesn't have to be 10 steps deep. You don't have to be a, an expert in things to leverage them correctly, but you have to do a little bit of effort to educate yourself. What is this good for? What is it not good for? And I think it's extra interesting with generative AI or large language models because it gives you the illusion that it can do anything mm -hmm. because it's a language model. Especially if you're an AI nerd, the concept of what would actually end up being intelligent or what we consider intelligent would be something that just can talk like us is actually makes a lot of sense in retrospect because the only <laughs> thing we have among us people is our ability to communicate and share our thoughts in a language. And so if you can have a machine that is as good as a person in language, then obviously it will have perception of intelligence, but might actually have a level of intelligence. Differentiation is actually quite important. And there's a lot of jokes about you ask ChatGPT to do basic math and it would speed up nonsense because it's not a calculator. It right. is a language model. It will tell you something that look valid, not necessarily valid. But at the same time, it's like an order of magnitude more powerful than things we had in the past. And so if you don't educate yourself on the baseline, just like fundamentals of like what it is this thing good at, what is it not meant to do, then I think you'll be able to even understand are those vendors saying valid things or not? Is the problem that I have, is it an actual compute problem? Is it scale problem? Is it risk problem? And the reason I'm like preaching that a little bit, because the last thing I want is this novel leap to go to waste of people have the false expectations. Not all AI is created equal. That is what is so huge for people. I think the chat GBT just brought it into the common man's language. And so it made it something tangible. All right, now I've used AI. I understand that I can give it this much and it can give me this much. So that part, I'm glad it happened. But I tell you, the AI that I see built into tools are dramatically different from company to company. So just because it says it has AI doesn't mean that they're all created equally or all as intelligent or all have equal algorithms and equal thought processes going in and equal non-bias. They're not. We always tell people, you've got to test it. You really need to understand which part of this equation is coming from AI and which part is just computing. And 
you need to know when computing stops and AI takes over, although it's computational, but you need to know when it's AI so you know what to look at more closely. Yep. And where do people fit in? You know, my personal agenda was for the last 15 years probably is that technology or process that is not designed for the people is just not going to work. It doesn't matter what the spreadsheet tells you. In reality, if people are not using it, it's not going to work. And you said yourself, you can build the best contract, the best methodology, find the best approach to solve a problem if you can't get the buy-in. Right. If people don't believe that, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so I'm excited about that. And this is why I was, you know, I was extra excited and triggered about talking about sourcing because I think in my understanding of that world, it's just a mathematic. It's more of like, how do I bring and come in? And I was shocked by how few companies actually do the portfolio aspect of understanding what the business need and how to manage that and how to be proactive about sourcing and be proactive about procurement or just honestly problem solving. It is so obvious that you shouldn't run after fires. You should kind of pre-prevent fires. Yet maybe we're just wired to get to things too late. Good organizations are getting involved earlier and earlier in the equations now. Ones who have become trusted advisors to the organizations. But the ones who want to do sourcing to the business unit, they're just going to have fires. People won't come to them until there is a fire. And so we're always trying to get people earlier engaged in the entire process. Work with the engineers while they're designing something. If your focus is on diversity, then make sure as we're designing that we have diverse suppliers that we're developing as well that can supply this in the future. But we should be way up front in the design phase and working all the way through the supply chain. That's what a good procurement person will do, is they'll get invited to the table a lot earlier and they'll be embedded into the business units and trusted by the business units. So the ones who want to wait to the very end and then just say, no, 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 you can't have it or you have to go here. Those folks have to retire. It's time to move on. That world's gone. With this 30 years of progress, what would be one advice that you received or that you find incredibly important to pay for that you can share with us today? I would say develop an insatiable curiosity. If you don't understand geopolitical around the world, if you don't understand the impact of storms around the world or weather-related incidents, if you're not aware of what's going on in shipping and transportation, and regulations and elections matter and the way that different countries are regulated and dealing with the same issues are really, really important. But you can't do that if you're not insatiably curious. And so the best advice I got ever was read at least three newspapers a day and scan every single article. And I do that religiously. And I start to see a trend and I start to be able to predict things that other people are like, what? Where'd that come from? Well, it's been coming for a while. But we need to be aware of that. To be good in sourcing, you've got to have a worldview and you have got to be insatiably curious because you never know where the next Black Swan event is going to come from. You never know. And you've got to be ready for it. And as soon as a Black Swan event happens, you should have a plan in place. I mean, we never saw the pandemic coming, to be honest with you, for all of the planning we did. But why didn't we think about a worldwide pandemic? Why didn't we think about the fact that it just possibly the world could shut down? I think it was so far out of anyone's realm of capability to think that big. And now we don't have a choice. Another pandemic will come. Another shipping crisis will come. We're still short 85,000 truckers. What are we going to do with all this transportation that's necessary? Was Amazon a good thing or a bad thing for the world and for the climate? And all of these boxes and all these trucks and everything else on the road, taking away truckers from the transportation companies, is that a good thing or not? 
We just have to always be thinking and be aware of it. You know, just trying to make sure that we hedge all of our bets down the road. Brilliant. You reminded me of, uh, so I'm originally from Israel. There's a song in Hebrew that you reminded me of. And there's a couple sentences there where it talks about when there was a little bit of rain, we thought it's blessed rain, but then it became a, a storm and our sheep sink. And then the first thing that comes to mind is when the, the next sentence says, why did it happen to us? Why do we deserve this? But then the second sentence is, and how could we not see it coming? This is a very good point. Like it is our job to see it coming. And it's okay to have the feeling of, oh no, what's going on? Why do we deserve this? We worked so hard. You should be like, ah, I kind of suspected this might come. And so I hedged some of it. So I'm still bummed and annoyed that it happened to me in my shift, but at least I was prepared. Versus like it happened to me and how did I not see it coming, which is way worse. Yes. Thank you for the great conversation. So great having you. And if you guys are listening in and you're in procurement or finance, literally anything that works with and you don't know about SIG, go check them out. They're awesome. Thank you so much again for your time. It was a great conversation. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 